0: you're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, man, last week, uh, like I mentioned, Galatians 5 um, has been a favorite of mine, but it's quickly becoming something. I don't know if you guys are steeped in it this week, but it's such a, especially after a lot of the denseness and historical uh, stuff that we kind of need to know and language that Paul has had the first couple of chapters to get to a fairly practical uh, passage that still can get technical and get nerdy, but as you guys just read it, like, that's it. Like, like we could just read that over and over and over and over again. I have a few things to say, so I apologize, but we should just read it over and over again, and it's just so good um, and so practical. But last week, in the very beginning of chapter 5, there was a, there's a phrase that is just something that we can't say enough. 5 verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It is such a good statement to sit in, to feel that, uh, last week we talked about often the weight or the burden that kind of the religion of Christianity and the law can put on the people, but, but Christ, his point to fulfill the law was to, to bring us, to set us free for freedom, um, but that doesn't just mean then to do whatever we want, right? That uh, the godly living does matter. We're going to talk about that today, uh, but there, it's not a weight, it's a freedom, do that. So last week we started the conversation about the freedom Christians have inherited from Christ because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, there's now a new way to live as God's one unified people, a way that fulfills what God said long ago through the prophet Ezekiel, that he would put his spirit within his people, inside, not just on the outside, something to follow, but on the inside, right, guiding, teaching them in his ways. And in the meantime, before Christ, the law was given to the people. And we, we've seen that. We've learned the history of it. The law was given to the people to prepare their hearts, to allow their eyes to be opened to two major factors of life. That sin is real and destructive, and that people cannot save themselves from themselves, right? There has to be a Savior. The point of that was to show them their sin and to see the desire and the need for a Savior. So Christ came fulfilled what the law required perfectly thus nullifying the law but reinforcing this beautiful covenant promise made to Abraham we read that a few weeks ago that all the descendants of this promise line would be a blessing would be blessed and then to be a blessing to the world and that line of inheritance now after Christ's resurrection is all who believe that Jesus is Lord and commit their lives to his ways. So if you do that, it's just easy peasy now, right? Right? Jesus did it. He did the thing that needed to happen. So we who believe have been given this new spirit, this new heart, new desires aligned after God's heart. We should be crushing it. We should be thriving for God's kingdoms with no issues at all. Amen? Amen. You know when you're playing Monopoly and you get that, like, get out of jail free card? Like, it's a great card, and that's a board game, right? Like, there's no get out of jail card, meaning Jesus did do all the things needed to be done so that righteousness could be for those who believe in Christ Jesus and have a forever future with God. But that doesn't mean there's no hardship on physical earth in the flesh. He didn't give his followers the gift of bliss while the world blows up, right? In 2nd Corinthians 5.18, what did he say? Christ reconciled us to himself to give us the ministry of reconciliation. Literally, the job of going into messy, broken places to bring light to the darkness. Right, the places in life that are unkind often can, be, can produce more hardship. And Christ said, I'm sending you to those places. First, I came to the places in you that were broken and were unkind. We were once enemies, but now I'm sending you to be that blessing to the world. And Jesus himself knows this is what's coming for his, his followers. Right? It's why he lovingly gave their reminder back in the Gospel of John, John 16, I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace, because in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, following Jesus, it's never been about living in this blissful state of no hardship, right? But it's always been about living in that hardship of human life differently. It's not about avoiding the darkness, but being a light in the darkness. And this light is not something Christians produce in just themselves without Christ, right? This is the mark of the new humanity under the reign of Jesus Christ. This light that only he can give evidence in the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his people. So before I get into anything practical today, before you walk away thinking like, oh, I got to do better. I want to change this. I want to do whatever. We just need to sit and realize that like godly living matters, but we need to understand that we don't produce that light through our own efforts, Right? This whole Christian way is only possible because of our Lord Jesus Christ and then the working of the Spirit in and through us. So in like the, same weeks of last, the same words as last week, let me pray before we continue that we will not see just lists to improve our life. This is not a self-help list, right? But more of a reminder of the love and freedom we already have in God through Jesus Christ right now. Before you change anything about your life, your thinking, your behaviors, if you believe wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ is Lord, then this should feed that incredible feeling of the freedom we've inherited, that God is doing something in and through us for the reconciliation of all things, and it's something that we cannot produce in ourselves. So let me praise God for that, let me pray, and let's get into it, okay? God, thank you so much just for who you are, God, that it was your plan to save your people, uh, we cannot save ourselves. We surrender to you, God. We want this. We want you to produce in us what we're about to read and get through. God, we just desire that as a people to be marked by your love and your grace and the fruits of your spirit, Lord. So just teach us today. We'll give you this time. I in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, <clears throat> so back to Galatians. Uh, let me read the few verses preceding. Our passages today to get us in a kind of Paul's flow. Remember, this is a letter. It would have been read in its entirety, so he's kind of constantly like working on an argument. Uh, we are the ones, English kind of broke it into these chapters, but he's just like, he's rolling with it. So, verse 13 for you, of, of chapter 5 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So after all the lofty arguments, Paul concludes with direct lines about Jesus himself. Like this is what it's all about. You can have all the best arguments in the world, all the best apologetics, but if it's not building up others in love, then Paul, as he writes later in first Corinthians, your love is just like a noisy gong. It's just nothing. Love is the means and love is the goal. But there's the opposite of that as well. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Just like we have the capacity to love and build one another up, we for sure have the capacity to destroy each other and to tear each other down. Just if, if you don't have children, like this is, this is very evident at an early age, right? You have to actually teach them how to love and build one another up. It's a lot easier the other way around. And Paul does not want to see the churches split and start devouring each other, right? There's, there's so much in a church environment that can consume everything, right? Running services, financials, volunteerism, differences in doctrinal views, etc. Like, we feel that today, right? But this is not a new issue. Right here, we're learning about the Galatian church are having doctrinal issues of what it should look like to be a Christian, what worship practices were best, like, Churches have struggled with this since the beginning of church, right? Paul doesn't want them to miss the point. This is what Paul wants them to hear, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you keep from biting and devouring one another? How do you keep from becoming consumed with an issues amongst the people? Walk by the Spirit. This language is so fascinating. If you go back and look in verse 14 and 15, Paul is juxtaposing loving one another with devouring one another. One is giving and serving, and one is taking and consuming. And then he moves to a different juxtaposition of two biblical themes, spirit and flesh. Okay, Let's get a little nerdy for a second. Flesh is this Greek word sarx, kind of a funny word. It means literally the body or outer covering. Ironically, it's for humans and fruit. The outer covering, okay, doesn't matter, but also the deeper meaning of it, Sark's the flesh, the kind of biblical theme meeting is this animalistic desires or appetites, right? It's like the unreasoned desire, the natural gravitation towards primal instincts, okay? But spirit he uses the word, the Greek word, pneuma here, pneuma, and pneuma meaning spirit. Sometimes in our scriptures, you can see it uh, translated wind or breath or life. And those are all really cool biblical themes that we can trace that, but here it's specific for spirit, right? This is the spirit that God said he would give his people. This is the spirit that is different than our flesh and not equal to our flesh, so much greater than the flesh, right? This is a spirit of regeneration, of new creation living. And here's what's crazy. This is the same spirit that's been here since the beginning, it's not just a new thing, right? The Spirit is alive and active throughout the beginning of time. You could read that in the creation story, but also throughout the Old Testament. We love the Old Testament here at Hope City. And with particular people, and usually particular people of standing, you see how God has filled people with His Spirit to make great moves among His people. I can't remember if I made a slide, so I apologize if I didn't. But um, I'm just going to read a couple of these. I can give you the references if you want, but there's like listen, and you can remember some of these stories. Joseph, Joseph was filled with the spirit of God in Genesis 41, right? The craftsmen who built the tabernacle were filled with the spirit of God, led by the spirit of God. The Joshua was filled with the spirit of God. The judge Gideon, if you remember his story. The judge Samson, Saul was filled with the Spirit of God. And then it left, and then David was filled with the Spirit of God. The prophets were often filled with the Spirit of the Lord and given visions and given thoughts. John the Baptist was filled in the womb with the Spirit of God. This spirit, there's so many more, that's just a short list, right? The spirit of God has been alive and active throughout all of human history, guiding and leading. But the idea here is like, go read all those stories and feel the unending power and possibilities that God can do through his people. And many of those people had important positions so that they could have great influence. It was understood that God chose those characters for a reason. There's a reason a lot of those characters were included in kind of this heroes of the faith list. But then how crazy is it for Jesus to come on the scene, adopt fishermen and common people as his disciples, and then ask the Father for them to be the recipient of this incredible gift of the Spirit? Not the kings, not the people that were in great power, but the fishermen, like the untrained, right? Right? So that, that when I read that, and I read that whole history of God doing amazing things through people, and then I read that like I'm a common person, you know, very common, that someone like myself could be filled with the same spirit, same spirit of Gideon, of Samson, of Joseph, right? And be able to live a whole new way. And it seems that the, the scriptures assume that this should change you. Right? That old self, that old way of life will not be desirable anymore because of the new life that's found in the Spirit. And Paul's not just saying, like, just run from fleshly desires. He's saying walk by the Spirit, and through the Spirit's power, and that what the Spirit is producing in and through you, much like he's done in all human history, will lead you in a way that is contrary to to those fleshy desires, which are often sinful by nature. Not all, but often. And you can avoid sin and still not walk by the Spirit of God. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried that behavior modification of, like, if I just don't do these things, I will love God. And sometimes it doesn't happen that way, right? You don't do those things, and you just love yourself, you know? It's, It's very common, right? But there's an intentionality to allowing the Spirit to lead in life and it will do much of the fighting for you." Paul says this in, in Galatians 5:17, "For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposites together. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do." Now, does anyone feel that tension, that spirit inside and the flesh outside, and just at, when you're kind of caught in the middle? This war, this pulling, the constant daily battle, the flesh pulling one way, the spirit nudging you the other way. And we feel this. Some of us who are less disciplined than others feel this more <laughs> than others, um, but we can all feel this tension. And this does not lessen the power of the spirit. Okay? These are not two equal things. The spirit is so much greater. This just heightens the sense of acknowledging the strong pull that the flesh has within us. Paul concludes verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law. It's interesting here that Paul equates the law here with the flesh. Right? While people were still living in the flesh under the law, they needed the law outside of them to guide them and to show them their sinful ways so that they could repent and get back to good standing with God. But now God's spirit is not outside but inside them, revealing to them their sin but then the covering of grace in Jesus Christ. Paul seems to be saying Christians, though humans in the flesh, are now, in terms of identity in Christ, primarily spiritual beings. Like, let that sit in. Primarily spiritual beings, though, though we're in the flesh, it's the spirit that's being remade and then is remaking everything else right? Human beings made on a spiritual level first, moving outwards to the flesh, then our influences until one day all creation is reconciled back to God. The goal of the Spirit's work in and through us is not just for us in our own edification, but just like the promise to Abraham, the goal is to be a blessing out of what God has given you. It's always a filling up to be poured out, right? Not just to stay for our own sake. So the goal is there, Walk in the Spirit, for you are to be about spiritual things, and this is contrary to the flesh. Paul actually does a lot more commentary about this, um, and I'm going to read it real quick, in Romans 7, 21. I find it helpful. He says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" Right, it's so real. Paul is not being idyllic here with the Galatians. He's not just saying, like, hey, there's going to be no problems. Like, he gets it. He understands the pull and and the flesh and how strong and powerful and how we are so easily enticed. He says, okay, verse 19, he says, the works of the flesh, these are evident, these are obvious. We all can relate to this. We know this, right? Let's read through them. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So first off, the works of the flesh are evident, or some translations say obvious. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're all just out in the open for everyone to see, right? But it's obviously these are just not of God. And that's what's so crazy is that it used to not be obvious. That's that's so important to know. These actions were just humans living. This is the flesh. Why wouldn't you do (laughs) these things, right? Until God came around and said, hey, this is actually destroying you. Hey, the deceitfulness of sin is that these evil things have somehow in society been deemed okay and even good by some, right? That is sin to to define evil as good. Right? I'm going to give you now a new way to live, one that is truly life because this is not it. This list is not. The world has taken what should be evil and made it good and right. And I'm going to remind you of what life is and what it, and what is what life is and what is actually death. And the law was to reveal this list that was previously unknown but now because of the Holy Spirit these symptoms of sin are evident and this should make us praise God praise God that we can read a list of that and be like, I, I, I don't want those things. I don't want that. That's, that is the spirit at work. The fact that Christians, even today, can read that list and say, yep, I see those as sin. Obviously, those are sin. That's the spirit opening our eyes and giving us insight into the life God has for us, and that's great. But I want to work through these, because I think sometimes we read lists of these types of things, and it just gets all jumbled up, and it's like, ah, it's just sin, whatever. But I think it's important. Paul, it's specific that he said a lot of these words. So the first three are are sexual in nature, okay? So sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, and if you have any questions about anything, just ask your parents. Um, But Paul begins with these these primarily kind of sexual appetites. That's my get-out-of-jail-free card right there. Um, the Greek word for sexual morality specifically is pornea, okay, literally where we get the, the word pornography from, but more than just a magazine or a website or whatever, it means the perversion or twisting of true moralistic covenantal love of mutual respect and honor, okay, it's, it's, it's literally sexual engagement outside of covenant, okay, so just think about that, without, without covenant and that kind of engagement. But impurity, it's a little bit different. Impurity means unnatural sexual practices, okay, the misuse of sexuality. This is also the idea of removing innocence within that, within sexuality. And then sensuality is a little bit different. Other translations have debauchery, right? Is this, it's the state of kind of dirtiness, right? The definition is conduct shocking to public decency. It's this kind of private, behind closed doors, shocking behavior that would make people blush kind of thing. Another definition is uncontrolled sexuality. He uses those specifically. Those are like, there's like a little categories, category, same genre, right? But he's kind of hitting these layers of it. These are concepts for Paul as, as selfishly taking what God meant for good and love and twisting it for personal pleasure and desires. Right? These things do not lead someone towards unconditional and self-sacrificing love that Jesus revealed to his followers of what love really is. The next few words are religious words, idolatry and sorcery. Some translations have witchcraft. Now, remember, there were lots. You could read the Old Testament. Go read First and Second Kings. There's lots of idolatry, and there's some sorcery in the history of Israel, which is fascinating, but Paul, remember, he's also writing to Gentiles. He's also writing to people that grew up in all sorts of practices, all sorts of ways, right? This encompasses both people groups. So idolatry is obviously believing in some other higher power to provide for what it appears God is not doing. And this is, as Paul writes in Romans 1, the worship of the creature rather than the creator. Sorcery and witchcraft is this secret tampering with spiritual powers, often evil, Uh, majority of the time evil, to try to gain something, to gain some power or some insight or something that no one else has, right? These actions have always been deemed evil in scriptures and not of God. The next few words are interesting. They're all categorized in community. These are all community words, okay? Specifically words that tear apart a community. Some of these are attitudes and some of them are results that these attitudes create, Enmity, it's, it's literally hatred between classes, nations, and individuals, okay? Strife or discord is the natural hatred and mistrust of others, a working against unity. Jealousy, not wanting others to thrive. Envy, wanting the self to thrive more than others. Fits of anger due to factions within the community of, of warring values. Like we see that in churches all the time. I don't believe this. I don't believe what the pastor said. I don't, whatever, however they're doing this. And so there's this fits of rage and anger leading to, to this. And these are what leads to these cultures. And they, these are more cultural things. Once you have those attitudes, here's what happens. Rivalries within the church, right? A culture of competition instead of shared vision and mission, Dissensions, different groups within the one group working against each other. Divisions instead of unifying oneness. These are things that are tearing apart community. And Galat- the church in Galatia was experiencing this stuff. People coming in and there's strife and envy and fits of rage. People trying to create these divisions. Paul ends this category with two more interpersonal behaviors. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, so th- these are more substance abuse category, right? Drunkenness is fairly obvious, but orgies is not sexual of nature. Here, he's using it as more like immoral drinking parties, or the the Romans would often have eating orgies. Just meant people together. My uh, uh, my dad is, was a pastor for years and years, and he told me yesterday as I was kind of talking about this. He said they used to have um, the, these purging rooms, this is gross, I apologize, but these purging rooms where the, the Romans, they would have, for days, they would have these huge feasts, and they'd get together and they'd just eat everything, gluttony, all this stuff, and then they'd go in these rooms, they'd make themselves purge, they make themselves throw up water so that they could keep going, and this was a party. That sounds horrible. I love food. I want to, like, eat and consume food. Anyways, it was just, it was, it was eye-opening to me. But uh, immoral drinking parties, like, all inhibitions gone, all rules out the window, Don't think, just do. And of course, any other substance abuse related to this. So, like, this is an extensive list and not something just for the ancient world, right? Paul wrote this a long, long time ago, right? We can all relate to either hearing about these, experiencing these, or having experienced the receiving end of some of these in our lifetime. But well, listen, at the end of the day, again, I just want to remind you, this is not just like a list of sins, a list of like, don't do these things and you'll be good, right? Paul's not preaching to the Galatians and, and to us that we should just avoid this list and do the other list. Like sin is the broken, corrupted state of God's world, and that corruption continues within us that gives way to these fleshly appetites. It's a thing in us that can somehow look at something so obviously not good for us, and we justify it somehow. This is a list of works that comes from a life that is dependent on the flesh and lives for the desires of the flesh, and this is what it produces. Like, these are the markers of the fleshly life. The fleshly life does not reflect the values of God's kingdom and not what the heirs to God's kingdom should concern themselves with. Now, I, th- I thought it was helpful for a more general, overarching summary. Eugene Peterson, in The Message, puts it this way, this whole passage. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. But here Paul writes then what I would call the list of freedoms that we have in Christ, right? The list of God-given freedoms through his Spirit that he wants so badly to produce in and through us. This list should be what Christians hunger for, what we long for. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let me read the message version. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I love that for self-control, that last line. This list is a list of fulfilling the commission of love God and love others. It's love God because none of these fruits are from us, right? That is why there's no law against them, not man-made. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Those who have rejected God and want nothing to do with Jesus can love to the best of their ability, to have grace to the best of their ability or joy to the best of their ability. But I would argue the highest level that human will could produce in this list is nowhere close to what the Creator could produce in us. And Christ said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want more of this list, it's not do better, be better, produce more from behavior. It's a list of surrender, right? It's saying, listen, God wants to produce all these things in your life, and we should want that. But what you have to do is surrender and root, or as we talked about last week, yoke yourself to him, right? These are all his strengths in our weaknesses. Let me say it again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about it. His perfect, unconditional love in our finicky, who-could-please-me-today kind of love. His joy in our gladness and in our suffering. His peace in a world of chaos and hurry. Then to be a people in a community that have these values. His patience, which is slow to speak and slow to anger. His kindness when it's so much easier to be critical. His goodness in a world bent on secrets and hidden agendas and untrustworthiness. His faithfulness in a world constantly exchanging the truth for lies. His gentleness in a world that is harsh when we feel like failures over and over and over again. Leading to a life led by the Spirit, that is his grace and guidance, to not be out of control, but marked by integrity and self-control. And here's the key distinction: We can't take the fruit without the source. We want the list, but we don't want God. Like you're right, we can't do that. There's a great quote from Tim Keller in his book, Galatians for You. It says, Do the apples on the tree make it alive? No. <laughs> if you tied apples onto a dead tree's branches, that would not make it alive. The apples don't give life. They are a sign that the tree is alive. But the life produces the fruit, not the other way around. Right? There's a temptation even in wanting this list to be produced in us that we strive for it on our own. We want to take matters into our own hand. This is the curse of being human. Right? Abraham did this with Sarah right hence last chapter where we had two sons but only one of promise right in the very beginning what is this i want to take from the tree for my own cuz it looked good for eating what paul is trying to, to get at in the galatians is to see that even though there might not be a law to follow godly living still really matters right we that that's it's god producing in us what we could not produce in ourselves Christians are freed up from the law as their salvation, yes, but there is still very much an intentional life to be lived, and it's just all under the grace of Christ, which gives the freedom to live unashamedly in the Spirit. These two lists are two very different people and how it looks in life. And here's Paul's conclusive thought, leaving no doubt if someone's like, well, can I take a little bit of this list and a little bit of this list and kind of like straddle the fence, right? Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires my strong language like early on the series we looked at the idea of circumcision okay and if you remember that you can go back and listen to that Romans 2 is really helpful here Paul kind of brings this insight for no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly nor a circumcision outward and physical but a Jew a believer is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So circumcision is this idea of being cut off. We've talked about this a lot. From the world, right? Set apart for something different. A people marked by being different. But Paul here is using the ultimate connection with this idea of circumcision of the heart, now with the crucifixion of Jesus in the flesh. The old self is on that cross with Jesus. The old me that looked like that first list and wanted those things, desired those things, didn't know any better, that self was crucified with Christ. Now we can see clearly. Now our eyes and minds have been opened to the deceitfulness of sin and the death it can only bring. It is now the new man and the new woman, the new child of God, that is set apart to be made into new life because the old me was crucified with Christ so that in his resurrection can also be my resurrection, can also be our new life. This new resurrected life is the Spirit first, and one day will be fully established on earth. But for now, Paul continues, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Living life in the Spirit is uniting, encouraging, building up, not, as Paul ends the chapter, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Living by the Spirit is both intentional and passively happening in us, and consequently in our community. Right? We keep in step with the Spirit. This is a life to be lived intentionally. We strive for the ways that root us to God so that the fruit of the Spirit can spring forth. But remember, the fruits that we want to see in our life is produced by the Spirit, not our fleshly attempts. I feel like we cannot say that enough. Our attempts at love, grace, joy, peace, etc., outside of the Spirit, are cheap imitations and not lasting. Right? So godly living matters, even though we can't produce it ourselves. And that's the point. That's the point of this morning, that we want to surrender to God, so that He can produce in us godly lives, so that we can be a true light in the darkness. And that creates a community culture that is more of a beacon for the world. Like the world is addicted to the flesh and there's, we could be a beacon of something that is truly different, truly life. And this is what Paul wants so desperately for the community in Galatia and the hope for all Christian communities. But I do think, as we end, I do think there is some direct application here that we can walk away with some helpful habits to form. Habits of surrender, okay? Godly living does matter. As with most writers, they can say it so much better than a guy up here speaking into a mic, right? So a, a pastor and, and writer um, that has been so influential to me over the last decade, his name is John Mark Comer, he wrote a book a few years ago called Live No Lies, and I will literally buy it for you. <laughs> like, please just tell me you want it, and I'll buy it for you, or you can pick it up. But it is so helpful and so insightful, and there's a quote this morning, he was, he was referencing this passage, I thought it was really helpful said, through our regular acts of mind and body, we either sow to the flesh and in doing so further entrench our slavery to it, or we sow to the spirit and increase our capacity to live freely and joyfully with God in his world. Therefore, we must run every habit, every thought, every relationship, everything through this simple grid. Does this sow to my flesh or my spirit? Will this make me more enslaved or more free? More beastly, remember that animalistic appetites? More beastly or more human? Remember, the key to spiritual formation is to change what we can control, our habits, to influence what we can't control, our flesh. I find that so helpful. What would it look like to be a whole community that instead of all the first lists, we had habits? that were forming us to be a surrendered people marked by the fruit of that second list. Again, there's the reminder of the freedom and love that we already have in God, in Jesus Christ, that even without any action, God is still working in and through his people, remaking us into that new creation because of his grace. But there are some ways that we can live into that godly life and be intentional about it. That is truly freedom. And it can't be just do more, be better, stop sinning. It's more like draw closer. Who who you are right now, no matter what's going on in your life, like draw close to God. Be regularly, daily, multiple times a day in his presence. Do the action of planting yourself as near to God as possible and soak up who he is. And I want to end with what, what I think is the perfect way to put this in Psalms chapter 1. That our our actions matter, but our actions are not the source of that life-giving fruit. That that blessed is the man or woman who is close in proximity to God by way of meditation on his truth, his word, and knowing God's heart intimately. This is Psalm 1, 3 to 4. Blessed is this person. He and she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season its leaf does not wither, and all that he or she does, he prospers. And then it says, and the wicked are not so. They're like chaff, just blow away in the wind, right? Guys, the freedom that we have in Christ is that of the free-flowing waters of grace that are available to those who believe that we can be urgent in being slow with God, spending our time with Him, planting our roots near that stream of living water to watch His resurrected life flow in and through His people to give us exactly what we need when we need it. This freedom is real, and it's accessible. This freedom to choose, trust, and faith in God and watch the fruit blossom in our lives and then to bless others because of our faith, not in ourselves, but that Jesus is Lord, The Spirit is alive and active and willing, and God is good. Amen?